Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Happy Friday. Pink is heading to Chase Field for her summer carnival tour featuring Brandy Carlile and Group Love on October 9th. Tickets go on sale Monday, but you can have a chance to win a pair if you head over to the contest page at KTAR.com. I want to talk about this story. I mentioned it earlier. I've been harping on this for a long time. Policy is a word I use quite a bit in my disagreements with the White House and the way that they handle things. And here is another example of it. It is my opinion, and it is an uneducated opinion in the sense that I'm not an economist, but I think the naked eye can tell us that the downward spiral into what is now a very high inflation and probably a recession, depending on who you ask, I don't care if you want to use that word or you don't, the tough economic times we are in right now, part of the problem was started with gas prices, that when gas prices grew exponentially, and then you add fuel to that fire with what happened in Russia and the heavy oil and the things that come out of that region and all of those things put together, we have seen record gas prices in America. But it started with the policy shifts of the Biden administration. Now, many people thought it was necessary. Many people were looking forward to it for four years of the Trump administration. For all the issues that made America vote in a different direction and elect Joe Biden president, you have to admit the gasoline was under three bucks a gallon for all four years. There were a couple of years of the Trump administration where it was pre-COVID and the economy was soaring. One of the things the economists were mentioning was that we have got wages going way up. The economy soaring, but no inflation, which meant those pay raises you are getting were not just keeping up with inflation. You are actually having a better quality of life. Fuel prices stayed below three bucks a gallon for all four years. And now you can go and track this. There are websites that track this. We began to see the week after Joe Biden took office, gas prices began to go up and they went up dramatically. What happened with Russia threw fuel on the fire, but they were going up a long time before that. So I've maintained that the climate change agenda, especially the assault on the fossil fuel industry, plays a big role in fuel prices and why they went up here, gasoline and diesel. The price of diesel has not come down like gasoline has. And the reason is supply side, that we cannot refine enough of it to keep up with demand. There is only a 26-day supply of diesel in America. Do you know how critical that is to national security and economic security? It is absolutely crucial to our economy. So here is a piece of the story. Uh, The St. Croix refinery owned by the West Indies Petroleum Limited in Port Hamilton Refining and Transportation has been shut down since June of 2021 and will have to obtain a prevention of significant deterioration permit, which would require the operators to provide detailed air quality analysis and use sophisticated air pollution control technology, according to an EPA press release. So now they create a huge amount of heating oil. So as we talk about the need for diesel fuel, this impacts that as well. But let's talk about what it does with heating oil. Buffalo, New York is going to be under four feet of snow. We know that it's getting blistering cold. In northern Arizona, they've opened Snow Bowl. I believe they've already opened it. If not, the snow's there and it's going to be open soon. And we know that we are getting very cold in parts of the country. We can see it by the influx of the snowbirds here in Arizona. By the way, welcome. Thanks for spending your dollars in Arizona. We love that you're back. We don't like the traffic so much. Turn the turn signal off. Get out of the passing lane. But we are very happy that you're here. Um, And we would... 
we look at where it's colder in the country, and this is not a joking matter, that heavier oil that's used to create heating oil. And now you've got a major manufacturer of that heating oil that is shut down and can't reopen because of what? Policy changes and regulations from the federal government. These are the areas that the president could change. The president of the United States could be a hero. He won't do it. The policies of this administration are so entrenched in climate change and stopping climate change, which, listen, for those of you that believe man-made climate change is the bane of our existence, you know that this is a heroic move by this president in your mind. But even if you agree that it's a heroic movement right now and a heroic shift by the American people – You have to acknowledge the expense it is putting on the shoulders of the working class in America. Heating oil prices are over 60% higher this year than they were last year. The reality is with the expense of food in this country, which a lot of it has to do with delivery costs from diesel fuel and otherwise. Now, we know there's a food shortage because of Russia and Ukraine, but the fuel prices play a role. Everybody I know in agriculture is saying so right now. I have friends that are farmers and ranchers here in Arizona that are talking about the limited supply of diesel and how it's killing them. It's breaking them backs. How do you think they harvest? How do you think they harvest and then deliver those goods? Get it from farm to table. Well, they got to get it from the farm to the market first. And what's happening right now is a disaster. And so the heating oil part of this, there are families that normally don't. You're talking about working people that make a nice living, that are able to, that have been able to put food on the table. Nobody's living an extravagant lifestyle, but the working class in America that keeps their head above water, they keep their financial house in order, they do the right thing, that will be choosing between full bellies and warm homes. That should not be a choice those families have to make. The president of the United States could have been a hero by easing these restrictions, by going to the EPA and saying we got to put a moratorium on these things in the short term till this war ends with Russia and Ukraine, until the sp- supply chain stuff stops happening and we get back on track. And then it's full steam ahead. Now, I wouldn't agree with it. I don't agree with the policy. But at least then he would acknowledge and more than just say the words we understand people are hurting. You're actually doing something to help hurting people. So what they do is they put out they, they want to up the amount of money that people get in welfare programs. And in some places they want to do this for heating oil. And so it's more government expense. It's more tax to wealthier and then give it to the people that are have less that are less fortunate instead of letting the free market do what it does. And it doesn't make sense and it never works. And families are going to be hurting. We all know that it's true. If you're traveling for Thanksgiving, if you are going out of town, if you're driving out of town, you know that it's a lot more expensive this year to drive than it was last year. Airplane tickets are more expensive if you're flying. It is all more expensive. What, 20% more they're saying for a Thanksgiving dinner? And there's no doubt that the policies of this administration are having an adverse effect on that. There are things that they could do, even if they did it temporarily in the short term, that they could do in order to unleash the American energy business. And they just refuse to do it. And I'm going to keep pointing it out and pointing it out and pointing it out because it needs to change. And the American people, it's not just me. Listen, it's not conservative talk radio. It's not a Republican talking point. Go and look at the poll numbers for the president on the economy. The Americans understand that he is out of touch. This administration has got one agenda, and they are not wavering from it. And they've got a small number of people that appreciate it, but a lot of people in America that don't think they should have to pay for it. And they are. And they're paying dearly. 
So coming up, what we're going to do in just a moment is um, we're going to talk about politics, how close these races are. The Arizona Attorney General's race, and I've got a little clarity on what happens if it's a tie. We're going to talk about all of this coming up here in just a couple of moments. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Here's the headline from the Arizona Republic. It ain't over yet. Arizona Maricopa County gear up for an automatic recount. The attorney general's race is like within 271 votes. Um, And it is interesting what's going on uh, in Arizona. What if there's a tie? What if there is a tie um, in the Arizona election? I'm typing this in as we speak. Very good radio when you hear that typing. In case of a tie, um, and so every year since 1984, I'm trying to see what it is in Arizona, uh, what it would be. And it is, um, it's interesting. What happens if there's a tie in the Arizona election? And I don't know the answer. In case there's a tie, it says resolve and tied election. New Jersey does these things. Arizona revised statute um, says if any election is provided in this article, there are two or more candidates who are tied um, for the primary election. Candidates are not selected. The candidate which received the highest number of votes to the second election will be held pursuant to the subdirection. So there's just a bunch of, of jargon. But what I was told was this happened once before in the 90s, and it was a poker hand. That's pretty interesting. Could you imagine a hand of poker deciding who is going to be our next attorney general? I don't know that that's the case. I'm doing some research to find out exactly what it is. But that is that is interesting to find out how we would do that. But the attorney general's race is Im- immensely close. I talked with this morning with Robert Graham. Um, we've been talking – I've been talking with prior leadership in the Arizona Republican Party. I don't know – and I'll be honest. I don't know how interesting this is to other people. But being involved as I was – in Arizona politics for a while and in party politics specifically, I kind of got the bug for the issues, not so much for the party politics. That's nothing against the Republican Party. It just it, it was too much infighting and backbiting and everybody wants to be a big fish in a little pond and nobody wants to work together. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm painting a bad picture, but that's how it felt to me at the time. So I stepped out of it and I, you know, I went in a different direction. But that doesn't mean we don't have opinions. Robert Graham was the AZGOP chair. So uh, we've seen changes happen in Arizona with different chairmen and women. And there's been a call for uh, Dr. Kelly Ward to resign. She's not going to resign because she's not running again. So she's just going to ride out her term and it's going to be done. Um, but when we, I want you to hear um, what what Robert Graham, the former AZGOP chair, said about Kelly Ward and her leadership skills. Since the very beginning, the time that uh, Kelly Ward took office as it relates to the chairman of the Republican Party in Arizona, she lost all reality, no operational structure. Her vitriol and anger and divisiveness all started targeting with inside the Republican Party. So what that naturally does is create factions again. And then when we're all not rolling in the same direction, you're not going to have great outcomes. 
So the issue is about reaching out to other people. There are two major jobs, the two primary functions of a party chairman um, in either political party in Arizona and or nationwide. One of them is voter registration and outreach. It is getting people to sign up and vote as a Republican or re-register from independent to Republican to bring people back under the tent. So your job as a primary function in that regard is to make sure that anybody, anybody that has an R next to their name feels welcome. Well, we know that's not been the case, especially in the last few years. If you were deemed, if you are labeled a McCain Republican, which used to be a badge of honor, anybody that was attached to Senator John McCain, it was something to be, you know, people still talk about. I worked on Senator McCain's first campaign. I worked on this campaign. Um, That was a great thing in Arizona. When he was the uh, the nominee for president, when he ran against Barack Obama, I was asked by his campaign to be the MC at his election uh, at his final rally the day before election day. So on Monday night, up in Prescott at the courthouse where Barry Goldwater had his last rally, I was the master of ceremonies for that rally, and I will tell you, it was it was an honor. It was an honor. I mean, I was the MC for an event for the presidential candidate for the United States of America. That was a pretty big night for me. The fact that it was John McCain for, in some circles, that's become something you should be ashamed of or embarrassed by. And we keep hearing this onslaught against McCain Republicans. And what it does is it drives people away from the process. These are people that will have nothing to do with those candidates in a general election. There is this huge exodus, and I don't agree with this, by the way, an exodus of some Republicans, very moderate Republicans, that have gone over and become Republicans for the Democratic candidates. I don't agree with it. As vitriolic as it was was and the horrible things that were said by former President Trump about John McCain, I knew John McCain fairly well. Um, Not nearly as well as his family, but fairly well. And I don't believe John McCain would have voted for Joe Biden. I've had I had private conversations about Donald Trump with John McCain. They did not like each other. But John McCain used to say, Watch what he does, not what he says. And he told me on the air, not just privately, on the air on my show, that he thought that Donald Trump had assembled the best cabinet he'd seen since Ronald Reagan. So he separated personal feelings. And there's no doubt he disliked Trump as much as Trump disliked him. But he separated the two. And I believe he would have done that in a general election. He certainly wouldn't have endorsed a candidate from the other party. So I didn't agree with it when Mrs. McCain, with all due respect, when Mrs. McCain did that and endorsed Joe Biden, I didn't agree with it. And I didn't agree with a bunch of Republicans that crossed the aisle and publicly came out for Democrats. Oh, not because I dislike Democrats, not because it's because the policies that will be implemented go against what Republicans stand for. And this isn't supposed to be cult of personality. It's supposed to be about policy. But there is no doubt that the rhetoric from leadership in the AZ GOP and otherwise drove people away. They were told to get out. They were told to get the hell out, as a matter of fact. And they did. What do you expect is going to happen when you tell any segment of your party to get out? They're going to go. And that's politics. That's anything else. And so one of the primary functions is to get people voted and registered and feel that they're under the tent. The other is fundraising. The AZ GOP knew that there are going to be close races. There is just a one-seat majority in the House and the Senate in each of the chambers for Republicans. And they were in really grave danger of losing those majorities. You need to have the ability to fund campaigns in those really tough districts. And they don't have the money to do that. 
And it's amazing when you see, when you know, as I know, going all the way back to the early 2000s, when they were having events called the Trunk and Tusk and others that were huge fundraisers, where wealthy Republicans were plunking down tons of money to make sure that the party coffers were full so that they could support candidates across the state. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. So this is what people are talking about. And you've got a race now for attorney general that is down to just a couple of hundred votes. So don't tell me that this isn't important. It is absolutely important. Um, So that was just uh, to me, it was just interesting in a moment back to education because school choice is such a big deal. I talked about this earlier. Tom Horn has won. The Republican has won against a Democrat incumbent to become the superintendent of public instruction. What are the reasons behind it? I'll give you my list next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I want to invite you to subscribe to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. It's very simple to do. You can listen at your convenience. Never miss a minute of the show. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home and guaranteed offers at higherprice.com. It's higherprice.com. We've been talking about the keys to success for the superintendent as one story was written nationally that across the country that we have we see superintendent jobs being won and school board jobs being won because of changes moving in the direction of, of education, wanting a different direction. But I want to tell you, I, I, I talk about the pendulum, the political pendulum swinging very often. And it does. I go down through, you know, the history of my lifetime and who I remember as president. Well, I, I mentioned Nixon reti- re- resigned, which brought in Gerald Ford, which brought so that's someone on the right, which brought in Jimmy Carter on the left, which brought in Ronald Reagan on the right, which brought in Bill um, R. H. W. Bush, and then four years later it was Bill Clinton, and then it was W. Bush. Then it was Barack Obama. Then it was Donald Trump. Then it was Joe Biden. That pendulum continues to swing politically back and forth in America. And it depends on when one side maybe oversteps and overreaches. I'll give you an example in a concession here is that Republicans that were celebrating the end of Roe v. Wade did not expect the pushback from moderate or I should say independent voters and moderate Republicans on that issue. So that pendulum swung to the right pretty far, and there was a significant pushback. That's just my armchair quarterback opinion. So let's talk about what I call um, the idea of of being able to um, shift. You, you take something from years ago and you try to apply it. It's presentism to the present day, and it happens in education quite a bit. Princeton University is uh, after complaints from students about uh, John Witherspoon, who was the sixth president of the college. He was also a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He was also a mentor to James Madison, uh, but he also was a slave owner. So here's a quote from what the students had to say. We believe first that the statute statue pays great honor to Witherspoon and encourages members of the university community to honor Witherspoon. Second, we believe that paying such an honor to someone who participated in it actively in enslaving human beings and used his scholarly gifts to defend the practice is today a distraction to the university's mission. And this is, again, this is 
the idea of presentism or that you what happened some other time makes you bad now or was it culturally acceptable and was that the way it was and I've the example I've used in the past angers people sometimes but it's one you have to wrestle with I've read most of, I can't say all of, but I've read most of what Martin Luther King Jr. has written, what Dr. King has written on the subject of racism and a lot of other subjects. He was a very passionate preacher, passionate pastor, and he had a disdain, and that's a pretty good word for it. He despised gay people. He thought the that homosexuality was was a sinful and horrible, and it was an abomination. And um, he is quoted many times as being anti-gay. When do we take down his statue in Washington D.C.? When do we diminish the great accomplishments of the civil rights movements because of his works? We're never going to do that. Nor should we ever do it. Nor should we ever do it. But you do understand that if you take and, – and I will give this credit. I believe had Dr. King lived a longer life, that his attitudes and his opinions, much like many other people on the topic of gay marriage, there are a lot of Republicans that just supported gay marriage legislation or same-sex marriage legislation in D.C. that never would have in the past. If you go back and listen to very many prominent Democrats, Joe Biden especially, we don't have to go back as far as Dr. King. Look at Joe Biden's past stance on gay marriage, and he said very overtly, marriage is between a man and a woman. His opinion morphed on all of that. So we want to take people we dislike. Now, I tell you, there is nothing in this country that was worse than slavery and the amount of time it took to end it. But then the amount of time it took to end the Jim Crow laws and the other laws that were separating and treating a, you know, uh, people of color as second class citizens, no doubt about it. But to say that the very same people that supported those things 50 years ago, 60 years ago, would still support them now is an unfair thing to say. That the brilliant people that were part of slavery because that was the culture back with the foundation of this country that would not have changed their minds as time went on if they lived in the present day is wrong. Just as wrong as it would be if I were to say to someone or let's say uh, let's say an LGBTQ community organization, a major group came out and said, go read the words of Dr. Martin Luther King and what he had to say about gay people. We want that statue down in D.C. What if a group came out and said, listen, here's a quote from Joe Biden saying that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that's the way it should be, and there is no room for error, and I'm paraphrasing all of the statements, but that's what Joe Biden said years ago. We want him out of the White House. We demand his resignation. People would laugh. So why is it that people like that are forgiven or at least given the benefit of the doubt that their ideas would have changed? And now you look at what's happening going back to Princeton University. That isn't an endorsement of slavery. What it is is an acknowledgement of history. And I, I don't understand how why we would sanitize history. You know, and everybody talk with the example people use is Hitler, Adolf Hitler. Well, what if they were doing this? They sanitized that in Germany. Hitler was an outlier and it was an anomaly. It was not common every day in the culture to do what Hitler did. Hitler was a maniac and a madman. And what he did to the Jews was horrible. What he was able to rally other people to believe was horrible. He was not adapting to the custom of the day. He created that custom through his oppression and through his violence and through his rhetoric. He created that feeling. He was not adapting to what the culture was. And so there is a major difference. 
it was the very same people in many cases. And, and, and this is the last I'll say on this topic. I know we were talking about education, but this is a major university. This is Princeton University is a major university in America. And when you look at, at how things were done years and years and years ago, there were many people that wanted slavery ended in the original Constitution. And it was impossible to do after everything the country had been through. They wanted to get a Constitution written and passed and done, and then they were going to make the changes necessary, Bill of Rights and otherwise. There is absolutely no doubt that we shouldn't have had we shouldn't have needed the Emancipation Proclamation and all those years later in order to end such a tragedy. But that doesn't mean that there weren't people that were founding fathers that were a part of that culture that wanted to change it as well. And we can't take what happened then and what was culturally acceptable in the way things were done and the norms and transfer them now to where we are in 21st century and call those people and hold them accountable by 21st century standards. It makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. How do we fix the U.S. visa system? Should we? Is it broken? We'll talk about both in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We're talking immigration a couple of times today. We were talking about how we fix our broken um, system when it comes to um, visas and people being able to come here and work and could alleviate some of our problems. We know what the problems are. We have uh, enforcement agents that are overwhelmed with processing and not enforcing laws. We don't have enough CBP agents at the border that are able to – or border agents, I should say, able to interdict the drugs that are coming in. Here's an interesting story. Fentanyl fight overwhelms Arizona police as drug bust track farther north, according to a former cop. Arizona police have uh, struggled to keep up with the fentanyl traffickers as Border Patrol remains too overwhelmed by mig- the migrant crisis to focus on their efforts efforts on drug smuggling. This is a former cop. As a Border Patrol agents have been tied up, now local law enforcement is dealing with the fentanyl further up. The president of the Border Security Alliance, Joe, I, I, and I apologize, I don't know if it's pronounced Joby or Joe Dix. Uh, Dickinson. Um, I don't know this former cop. State troopers are making traffic stops on freeways up north, uh, up in northern Arizona, getting hundreds of thousands of pills. Not only does that tie their resources up as they're getting stops, the local sheriffs aren't able to respond to local emergencies. So this is just a part of the spiraling of the problem. Uh, the border strike force was started um, by the governor here uh, of, uh, in Arizona and um, we know that Frank Milstead was then running the D, was running DPS, and now it is Heston Silbert, uh, the colonel, that is running it. But the border strike force remains strong. As a matter of fact, they expanded it to other states. It works so well. And this is a team that is supposed to support local law enforcement. But now what you're seeing is we are understaffed when it comes to law enforcement in a, in a, anyway. And I've talked about the need for troopers as well. There's a reason why we are seeing red light runners and traffic deaths and pedestrian deaths on Arizona surface streets. And it's because the the number of motor officers and traffic enforcement officers in the city of Phoenix has immensely been been reduced immensely because of the need for patrol officers. So you don't have enforcement of the speed on surface streets or the intersections where people are running red lights and you see deaths go up. It happens the same way on the freeways with DPS. We have expanded our freeways so much since I moved to the state of Arizona. 
The 60 has been completed going east, or at least it's been widened going east. Uh, we now have both the north and south 202 freeways. The 101 loop, the 303 loop has now been put in place, and we have not added that many and the loop 202 the south loop 202 has been extended around south mountain now out to about what 59th avenue i think it is and so we know that we've had a huge expanse of arizona freeways people drive faster i you know i put something out joking around and i joke about a lot of stuff but it's serious issues about speeding is that when we see traffic deaths and the severity of crashes going up we need more troopers. So you figure that the line of defense at the border and stopping the stopping drugs crossing our border, ports of entry or otherwise, is the responsibility of the federal government. They are overwhelmed. So more and more of fentanyl and other illicit drugs are crossing our border into the U.S. And then you have to have um, local law enforcement step up. Well, when you got a shortage of officers in, or I should say troopers at DPS, when you have a shortage of deputies in the sheriff's offices, now they are being charged with this. When they are doing these kinds of things, they don't have time for the other types of crimes that are being committed. Makes perfect sense. So there's our border problem in a nutshell. The idea of changing our visa system and expanding it and making it easier is a great way to do things. But we should be sending the message to people that are making their way north as we speak to the U.S. to file false asylum claims. We should be telling people that if you do that, you will delay your possibility. We're not even going to consider you. Or, or we should say, if you clog up the system and you're found to not be eligible for asylum in America, there's a suspension of your possibility of coming here to work for two years or a year or whatever it is. So your best bet, instead of coming up here and filing a false asylum claim, your best bet is to apply for one of these work permits. Get a job, cross, and you're able to work. That would alleviate so much of the problems on the border because then you know that people that are coming here for legitimate reasons, what I mean by legitimate reasons is they want to work and they want a better life. They're not lying about their status, so we're not clogging up the asylum process. We also aren't stopping the workers, the border workers that are supposed to be uh, um, stopping crimes in progress and drugs that they are no longer processing people because people are coming in an orderly fashion. So now they know. Know that if you're sneaking into the country in open areas of the border, you're here for criminal purposes because there is a viable way for you to cross into this country legally. I mean, it sounds simple. Why don't they get it done? Why can't we get this done? We are looking at problems across the state of Arizona with with the drugs. It is so it, it, indescribably sad. To think, and and it, it's horrible for anyone. We understand that addicts sometimes overdose. I'm talking about when young people, people that experiment. Now, I've never done drugs, but I, I've been around a lot of friends when we were younger. I had a lot of friends that had experimented with drugs. I never had anybody that was an addict that I was close friends with, but I had friends that experimented with more than marijuana, and they tried other drugs, and then they just never did them again. Imagine somebody at a party that's given something, and it's happening more and more, where parents have to talk to their kids that you make one mistake and you die. One mistake. One mistake with fentanyl and you're dead. We've got to get a handle on this and we just aren't doing it. Fixing this visa system could be a way to alleviate a lot of our problems. We are going to talk about the economy. Layoffs. Wait until I tell you about the latest company that says they are laying off employees. Next. Next.